Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kosoy on Parashat Lech Lecha. This week's podcast is sponsored by Shana and Rabbi Shalom Cantor in honor of Marnie Mandel and Ram Nathaniel's newborn twins, Maor and Eli, and in honor of all the incredible Pardes teachers. Did you know that Pardes from Jerusalem is on Spotify? Follow us there for the latest episode or visit elmod.pardes.org. This week's Parsha is Lech Lecha. And this week, Avraham is the first great non sequitur. Two weeks ago, the first 10 generations lost patience and threw in the towel, starting over with only Noah. Last week, 10 more generations, and things didn't look a lot better. This week, God needs a new plan. Uniform goodness in the world is seems to be a lost cause, but perhaps, perhaps a pearl can be found. Out of nowhere, in classic non-sequitur form, the Lord said to Abraham, to Abram, Abraham, Go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. As the Svasena says, they didn't tell you why. No answer is given for why Avraham is being chosen. But the rabbis fill in that gap with a famous story. Uh, the Midrash actually addresses the, the words, the Yomat Haran Apnei Terach Aviv. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terach. This is how it goes. Rabbi Chia said, Terach was a manufacturer of idols. He once went away somewhere and left Avraham to sell them in his place. The man came in and wished to buy one. How old are you? Avraham asked the man. 50 years old, said the customer. Woe to such a man who is 50 years old and would worship an object who's only one day old, Avraham said. Out walked the man. On another occasion, a woman came in with a plate full of flour and requested him, take this and offer it to the idols. And so he took a stick and he broke all of the idols, save one, and he put the stick in the hand of the largest one. When his father returned, his father said, what have you done to them? Abraham said, modestly, I can't hide it from you. I have to admit, a woman came from with a plate, with a plate full of fine meal and requested that I offer it to them. One of the idols claimed, I must eat first, while another claimed, I must eat first. Thereupon the largest arose, took the stick, and broke them all. Terach said, Why do you make sport of me? Have these idols any knowledge? Avraham says, Are you listening to what you're saying? Thereupon Terach seized him and delivered him to Nimrod. Let us worship fire, Nimrod said. Let us worship water, which quenches fire, Avraham responded. Let us worship water, Nimrod said. 
Let us worship the clouds which bear the water, Avraham said. Nimrod responds, let us worship the clouds then. Avraham says, let us worship the wind that can disperse the clouds. Nimrod says, let's worship the wind then. But Avraham says, wait a minute, we can worship human beings. They can stand up to the wind. Nimrod gives up, throws up, throws his hands in the air and says, you are just bandying words and we will worship nothing but the fire. Behold, I'm casting you into it and let your God whom you adore come and save you from it, said Nimrod. Now Haran was standing there. Haran was standing there undecided. If Avraham is victorious, I will say that I am that I am of Avraham's belief. And if Nimrod is victorious, I'll say that I'm on Nimrod's side. That was his thinking. When Avraham descended into the fiery furnace and was saved, Nimrod asked him, On whose side are you? On Abraham's, he replied. Thereupon Nimrod grabbed him, cast him into the fire. His inwards were scorched, and he died in the presence of his father. Hence it is written, and Haran died, Haran died uh, in the presence of his father. If you are anything like me, you didn't learn until much later in life that it wasn't, that this story is not in the Torah. Even though I was taught it as the simple understanding of what is special about Avraham. Avraham's the one who discovers God and is thus the father of monotheism. I discovered that I was misled on two counts. Not only is the Ikar Haser Sefer, that is, the the, that whole story is missing from the book, the Torah provides actually a very clear reason in next week's Parsha why Avraham was chosen. Since Avraham is to become a great and populous nation, and all the nations of the earth are to be blessed, are to be blessed themselves through him. For I have singled him out that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right in order that the Lord may bring about for Avraham what he has promised him. But these verses tell us what Avraham was chosen for, and that just sharpens the question. How did Hashem know that Avraham was the right man for the job? What was on Avraham's resume? What did he do at his audition? The Torah gives us no information. The first thing we know about Avraham is that God tells him to leave. And the Midrash fills in that blank. But that just raises the next question. How does this Midrash line up with those verses? If we know that these verses tell us what Avraham's mission is, and we know and this is what the rabbis understood to be his audition, if you will, um, we'd expect that the event that's in the rabbinic imagination would qualify Avraham um, for his mission and that the two would lie up, that they would line up very closely. Um, 
can the Midrash, so I want, I turn today to, what I want to do today is to look at the Midrash and to see if the Midrash can help us read the verses more carefully. And conversely, can the verses which give, tell us why Moshe, why, excuse me, why Avraham is chosen um, as the father of our nation, um, can help us understand uh, this Midrash. So let's, let's unpack these precious verses uh, just a little bit. The, um, the verses from next week's Parsha. Um, it says, Ki yedativ, l'man asher yitzavet banav et beitoach harav, v'shamru derech Hashem l'asot stakal mishvat, l'man hivi Hashem al Avraham et asher diber alav. God has singled him out. God knows him, yadauto, in order that he shall command his children and his, and his house afterwards, that they shall guard the way of God in order to do justice and righteousness, in order to that God bring upon Abraham what he's been promised. So one thing that you see right away is that is Shamru Derech Hashem. Hashem is central. That is a clear commonality between the Midrash um, and these verses. Um, but it, our, but our verses do not end with acknowledging Hashem, but also that guarding God's way means to do tzedakah and mishpat. And it doesn't end with that either. Ki yadativ. God has yadauto. Yada knew Avraham. And I think that means in the biblical sense of the word to know. And I don't mean physically, of course, but rather that there was a deep intimacy between Avraham and God at the level of being a blood relative, even that the but that relationship of intimacy that they had is not that Avraham and God had was not just about Avraham and God. It was actually intended. And that um, Offer the ultimate divine conditional promise is that God chose Abraham for a mission, that he may be the jewel that makes the whole world worth it. And his mission is actually to bring blessing to the entire world. His blessing here is a message for the entire world, something that they'll want to admire and adopt. And that stops, starts with his, um, with his influence in his house, um, and on the um, on his children and everyone in his house. So, Avraham is meant to be a missionizing, proselytizer, a broadcaster. Even you could think of him as a super spreader in the positive sense of the word. In both cases, um, he's bringing his mission outwards. He doesn't just follow Derech Hashem and do what's just and right. He gets others to do it. So we've got three messages. Three, three values so far, um, the, the centrality of God, the centrality of Tzedakah Mishpat, and the, and the demand that God and Tzedakah Mishpat don't, don't um, stop with Abraham, but actually emanate out through his children, his whole house, and finally to all the nations of the earth. And all of that will end with there will be some that God, in order that God will bring upon Avraham whatever has been promised. So we don't, we may not see that week, that 
that reward, and this week's Parsha, but eventually that righteousness, that loyalty to God is going to pay off. Um, so I want to go back to the Midrash and see if we can point to these three values and the reward that follows, um, the intimacy that emanates outwards and brings blessing broadly, its corollary desire to influence others in a family-centered sort of way towards truth, to build community around shared values, a God-centeredness in which the God-centeredness brings us to justice and righteousness. All of that followed by the promise of great rewards. Um, how does that manifest itself in the Midrash? On first glance, the Midrash seems to focus entirely on Shamru Derech Hashem. Both episodes of the in the Midrash emphasize a kind of Shmirah, a fierce loyalty to God, it doesn't really need a lot of fleshing out. Faith in God is front and center for Abraham in both his episode with the idols, with smashing the idols, and in his episode um, of the fiery furnace with Nimrod. What is confusing is how that meshes with the crusade to spread the message of justice and righteousness. In fact, you could argue that the opposite is really the case. The simple reading of the Torah leaves us at a loss Going out alone, leaving your community could be a recipe for disaster. I know for myself as an immigrant here in Jerusalem, that I sometimes find it challenging to speak up and to lead. I feel myself sometimes as an outsider. Avraham can't even raise a family or get on with his nephew. He's wandering from place to place as a migrant, living a nomadic lifestyle. How is he going to convert nations to his viewpoint? The Midrash adds a public element to his display of faith. But how is, that, how is that public display missionizing in its character? Commentators have, knowed, have noted that our Midrash is not invented actually out of whole cloth, but rather it's built on the biblical stories of Gidon in, in, in Shoftim 6 through 8, and of, of Hanael, Mishael, and Azariah um, in the beginning of Sefer Daniel. Um, in Judges 8, Gidon smashes his father's altar to Baal, and builds one to Hashem in its place as a starting whistle for a war with the Midianites. Like in the Avraham story, Gidon outrages his community, as they, and they rile in fury at the offense to the gods. But unlike in the Avraham story, where Terach gives Avraham over to Nimrod, Gidon's father actually raises a public challenge. Let Baal come and fight his own battle, if he's so powerful. All of this comparison to Gidon helps us to understand the famous Midrash about Avraham and his father's idol store. But it, is, it especially helps us to highlight two features of Avraham's action that feature prominently in God's succinct um, description of Avraham's mission. The smashing of the idols is not a momentary rage stemming from, idol, from adolescent rebellion. Rather, it's a carefully planned public act of protest intended to fulfill I made him known so that he can get other people um, to follow his mission. This public outward-facing nature of Abraham's mission also explains the tremendous reward of his success in battle. But we'll return to that later. We see the missionary character. Um, and we see Hashem. But what about the justice and right, the justice and righteousness? Um, what is the connection between Sedek and Mishpat in the story of the idols? 
this is a question for which there could really be actually a lot of answers. And I want to stop here and invite you to raise that question at your Shabbat table and share your answers with me. Um, I hope it will be an interesting, uh, an interesting conversation. My, you can reach me at my email, mish at pardes.org.io. But I also want to share with you two thoughts that have been really influential in my life. I'm reminded of one of my early Torah teachers, Professor Mark Brettler, uh, and I didn't check it with him, and 30 years could have done its job uh, on my memory. But what he said as I remember it is, if I could have lived then, I would have been a pagan, he said. Many prophets, in those days, there were many prophets standing on soapboxes, each with contradictory messages. Um, there was no, the world was a place with no apparent order, or force that was really in control in the world. The mythological idea that gods are at war with each other or in a power struggle and that we're caught in the crossfire probably would have resonated with um, many people's human experience. And if that was the reality, that the, that the, that the gods were just in having a petty fight with each other. Was it really possible to speak of justice and righteousness? Religion would have been a mission to appease those gods in their pettiness. The world would seem to be a place where might makes right and only the strong survive. Religion would be, ally would be more allied with magic than with morality. As Therasmachus um, made a similar argument in Plato's Apology, justice is nothing but the advantage of the stronger. Moral values are socially constructed are nothing but the reflection of the interests of particular political communities. To suggest, as Avraham did, the existence of a single God is to posit rhyme and reason, purpose and intention in the world, and thus right and wrong, obligation and fairness. Yeshayahu said something similar when he says, Thus says the Lord, the creator of heaven, who alone is God, who formed the earth and made it, who alone established it. He did not create it a waste, but formed it for habitation. God did not create it for no reason. God had a reason. God made the world with purpose. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy um, makes a similar claim about the modern debate between atheism and theism. The debate is rather a debate about the character of the universe. The theist believes every object in the natural world exists because God creates and conserves that object. Every finite thing has the character of being dependent on God. The atheist denies this and affirms that the basic entities in the natural world would have the character of existing on their own. Let me say that sentence again. The theist believes that every object in the natural world exists because God creates and conserves that object. Every finite thing has the character of being dependent on God. And I think there's two parts to that sentence that are profound to me. God creates and conserves each object. How much purpose, value, and dignity is bestowed on a creature by virtue uh, of it obtaining God's providence. If God has put this person, place, or thing, myself included, on earth, it must be worthy of my attention and my respect. How do my actions and thoughts reflect my understanding that I and everything around me are God's creations? Conversely, 
every finite thing has the character of being dependent on God. Deuteronomy declares again and again that the great cause of sin is the belief that my strength and the, and the strength of my arm uh, is responsible for this great power, to see myself as the center of the universe and all-powerful. The recognition that God is the ultimate source of everything corrects that, gives us modesty, humility, respect for other creatures. These parallel principles that everything is created by God and is thus dependent um, on God is the basis of our understanding of a moral universe. From this foundation, it becomes possible to define what is just and right. Moral commands become commands. Only agents can issue commands. So morals, so moral commands are the commands of an agent. And that external source is God. That um, the court, the single source of commands across all of us in all of time. Thus the declaration of faith in God is no less than the declaration that there is derech Hashem and that that derech Hashem, the way of God, is tzedek mishpat, justice and righteousness. I love the way this is articulated in Psalm 33. Sing forth, O you righteous, to the Lord. It is fit that the upright acclaim God. God loves what is right and just. The earth is full of the Lord's chesed. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke, and it was. He commanded and it endured. God and justice, justice and God's creation of the world are inextricably intertwined. Now, Abraham himself does a lot to nuance that declaration in these parshiot in this week and next week's parsha. But the statement remains profound and tremendously relevant to us as modern human beings. I personally find that, as, Mar as Mark Brettler suggested, um, Many of us, that it can be sometimes tough to believe wholeheartedly in a God who acts in the world. There's moments, I have moments of feeling God's intimate love. Um, and I also have sometimes moments of bewilderment. Why did God send COVID on this world? Why has God decreed so much poverty, illness, or disaster on this or that individual? Where is that God that saved Avraham from the fiery furnace in my life? But like Avraham, my deepest kishkas tell me that there is a master of the universe conserving each object for some purpose. We feel, and I feel the dignity and the sanctity of each of those creations. And because there is a God, I understand that there is also a der Hashem, which is nothing less than justice and righteousness, a morality, um, and, and thus, there's a complete and total rejection of the idea that might makes right. And a closer look at the Midrash emphasizes this point, that might does not make right. It's no coincidence that Abraham puts the stick um, in the hand of the largest idol, 
nor that Nimrod and Nebuchadnezzar in, in Sefer Daniel attempted to manipulate their massive power only to their own exclusive benefit. The Mishrash endorses a world in which God is the guiding force and simultaneously rejects a world in which God make, in which might is what makes right, in which the most powerful is the one who um, determines uh, what happens. And so it's no coincidence that Rav, Rav Maidan pointed out in his brilliant article um, that one of the main connections between Avraham and Gidon is that both of them have miraculous victories. Gidon, who dismisses uh, his massive, the, Gidon had a massive force of 32,000 soldiers and he dismissed all of them except for 300 and used those 300 to conquer the Midianites. As, as Tanakh says, so that everyone will know that God is the one that did the saving. And similarly, Abraham uh, did something similar in the battle of the four kings and the five kings, in which he, in which Abraham ultimately prevails with a mere 318 soldiers. Avraham, Gidon, Hanael, Mishael, Azariah, they are all rejecting absolutely and unequivocally the cynical adoption that might makes right in a chaotic world. They, they reject that argument in favor of a world in which God's creation testifies to the dignity and purpose of every creation. And that's why in Psalm, our Psalm 33, which so beautifully connected between creation and morality, concludes, Kings are not delivered by a large force. Warriors are not saved by great strength. So even if in this week's Parsha, it's difficult to see how God's promise, Laman hevi al Avraham et Asherah aseh, is that, that God will bring um, great destiny and blessing to Abraham and to all the peoples of the world through him, it is realized ultimately, and it will. Um, I'd like to close with one more thought, which is related. Um, that has become more important, more and more important to me uh, in recent years. What does it mean to follow Derech Hashem? Avraham illustrates it in this Midrash and indeed in his entire life journey. It's a path of great sacrifice, courage, and endurance, a path of deep inner conviction and of really resembling Avraham Ha'ivri. Avraham is on the opposite side of everything else in the world. We tend to see tikkun olam, um, pursuit of justice and righteousness, as something that will be applauded and celebrated by everyone around us. We have images of Martin Luther King or Moshe Rabbeinu trotting in and heroically showing everyone the mistakenness of their ways. But in, in real time, these struggles were actually very, very tough. Our great heroes and, agent, and agents of change can only be identified as such in retrospect. At the time, they were often hated and despised, spit on and condemned. Their inner conviction had to be unflinching. Avraham paid a huge price, not just in leaving his family, his home and his homeland, but also in being ridiculed by his community. Even his father rejected him. Eventually, he emerged victorious from the fiery furnace, but it probably wasn't fun being thrown in there in the first place. And all of that is because so much of the world does seem to conform with, seem to 
feel like might makes right, that the rich and the powerful often prevail. But Avraham remained dedicated to a deep belief that that was not the case. Whatever the price was, Avraham was willing to pay it to stay loyal to his ideal. And eventually, Avraham does indeed become a great nation. But this week's Parsha is largely not the story of being saved from the fiery furnace. Even as he is in victorious in war and materially successful, it is the story of his unwavering devotion and faith in his purpose, despite the ability, the inability to have children, even as he has been promised to become a great nation. The, Mitr the Midrash captures Avraham's courage, conviction, and willingness to swim against the stream. And this is what qualifies him for his mission. That he was going to guard the path of God, and do, which is to do righteous and justice. This demand for courage and conviction, a willingness to take risks and pay a steep price to cling to his ideal is captured beautifully with the interpretation of the Svat Emmet to the question we started with. Why doesn't the text tell us why Avraham was chosen? There's a voice calling out always, says the Svat Emmet. Lech Lecha was, going, was being called out over and over and over again. Anyone could have paired it. That voice was going out to everyone, but it was only Avraham who actually was able to discern that voice, to hear it, and had the courage to heed it and to actually go. It seems to me that this deep willingness to hear and to heed, even at great risk, is something that is actually available to all of us, should we find the way. So to summarize, the story of Avraham breaking his father's idols and being saved from the fiery furnace does not tell us why Avraham was chosen. Avraham was chosen because he, God knew that he would command his family and his posterity to keep the ways of the Lord to do what is just and right. But juxtaposing the Midrash with these verses amplifies the message of both of them. Avraham's courage in breaking the idols and his being saved from the fiery furnace are not just personal episodes. They're part, they're an expression of his, of his mission to share that message with the world, that God is the master of the universe. And that the necessary corollary of that message is that there is a way of God and that that way is justice and righteousness. It's an absolute rejection of the notion that might makes right and conversely, a belief that justice and righteousness and derech Hashem are inextricably tied together. Avraham's greatness was his willingness to hear that call and to follow the path, no matter the consequences. And yet, the Torah assures us that by staying, clinging to the, that conviction, reward eventually comes. May Hashem give us all the strength to hear that divine call, to follow Derech Hashem, and to do justice and righteousness, especially in these heady, precarious days, in order that we can fulfill our destiny as individuals, as a nation, and as a universe. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today.
be sure to visit us on Spotify, where you can subscribe to any of our other podcast channels, or visit us at elmod.pardes.org. Thanks for listening.